1: To All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 297, and today we are talking about books being released on February 9th, 2021, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Vanessa Diaz, and we're coming to you from BookRiot.com. Hello there! Hey, how are you? I'm okay. It's very sunny out, a lot of the snow has melted. We got a lot of snow here in Maine, although I guess we're supposed to get a lot more starting tomorrow. So, I don't know.
0: I'm on the other side of the world where we're like, please, just snow! Because, like, it always says it on the forecast, and then it ends up yeah. being like, here's some sad flakes that melt the minute they get to the ground, and I, know I, I'm still at that point where it's like a novelty, and I want it to, I know that's annoying, but I'm like, please, snow! And it's just not happening.
1: No, it's a cool thing, especially if you're not used to it. But yeah. there was, like, was it last winter or the winter before? I think Portland got more snow out there than we did out here it was just like snowstorms galore
0: it was I think like the year before I moved out here yeah I keep hoping any day now (laughs) supposedly there's like one day next week so if you see like stupid pictures of me wearing like entirely too much clothing for that kind (laughs) of snow then you'll know
1: Yeah. Meanwhile, like out over here in Maine, you know, I run out to get the mail and like a t-shirt when it's like, you know, 40 degrees outside. (laughs) Jamie's down in Miami and she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, tell it. I'm like talking and she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, this is balmy.
0: <laughs> Jamie and I always have that conversation. She's like, I would just not live where you live. And and obviously where I live is like usually significantly less cold than like where you live. She's like, no, I just wouldn't get out of bed. <laughs> okay, well, I kind of have to because, you know, my job. She's like, no, I'm not getting out of bed if it's less than 50.
1: <laughs> yeah, she has it good because it's warm all the time. Except when it's not, then she has the danger of falling iguanas. Iguanas. You I know th- this phenomenon? I...
0: Yeah, it was like the great cackle of 2019 or 2020 when she, like, yeah, and I thought she was joking. She's like, no, Vanessa, like, they freeze and they fall out of the
1: trees. It's terrible. I feel bad for the iguanas. It is very sad. Me too. Although, they're not dead, just to be clear.
0: I know, which is why I can laugh.
1: They're just kind of like, oh, I'm so cold, and they just fall. I Which just, is okay. If if it was like fatal, I would be very upset.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't be laughing as hard, but it is pretty funny that there's like, Ugh.
1: Falling iguana. <laughs> Poof.
0: Like, oh, it's just an iguana. It's fine.
1: <laughs> this is like two reptile episodes in a row. Last week we had Helomon. Monsters. monsters. This yeah. week we have iguanas. It's <laughs> always something new. This is
0: the content our readers and listeners <laughs> come for.
1: <laughs> so, uh, before we get started, I want to mention that. In a few weeks, it is our 300th episode, which Yay! is so exciting. So exciting. You know, I simultaneously cannot believe that we've been doing it this long, and also it feels like it's gone by so quickly. Most of you know, well, if you don't know, you know, I had a rotten childhood, which maybe I haven't mentioned, but you've probably listened to me talk and done the math, you know, worked backwards and figured that out on your own. <laughs> but books were my salvation. I mean, books saved my life as a child, and. As an adult, the idea that I can recommend books to other people that will make them happy and give them an escape and do the same thing for them means so much to me. This is this is my dream job. You know, I feel like a fairy book mother. And, you know, I get to do this every week. Even when I had the whole summer off, I was like, "Please, I still want to do the show because I just love doing this so she really much." Did. <laughs> and, you know, and the easiest way Uh, To ensure that we get to keep doing this is for you listeners to go to Apple Podcasts and give us a rating or review. It just takes a few moments of your time. You can just, you know, give it some stars. And then you don't even have to, like, say anything about the show if you don't want to. You know, talk about your favorite book. Talk about your pets. Just write, I love Lamp, you know. But it, it is a really big help for us. It makes it so that we get to keep doing this. And I just appreciate it so much. You know, this is my dream. And I'm so thankful for all of you. And everyone that we talk to and that we hear from, and also for the 300th episode, we are going to answer some listener questions, which is very exciting. So if you go to all the books at bookriot.com and send us an email, you can ask us a question. We got a few uh, last week. Thank you very much for that. And you know, we'll we'll answer a few each episode, starting with the 300th. You know, you can ask us anything you want. You can say I love lamp. You know, whatever you want to do, you can reach out to us. So. Whatever's in your heart. Yeah. (laughs) I love Lamp. We can talk about frozen iguanas, you know, whatevs. (laughs) So uh, now we're going to talk about books, though, which is why we are here. Except before that, we're going to hear from a sponsor.
2: Today's episode is brought to you by Gallery Books. So Anna Green thought she was marrying Liam West for access to subsidized family housing while at UCLA, which is an interesting reason to marry someone, but you know, in this economy. So anyway, she signed divorce papers when the graduation caps were tossed and she thought she was done. Eh, She wasn't. Three years later, Anna is a starving artist living paycheck to paycheck while West is a Stanford professor. Now he is part of a conglomerate. His family owns this mega grocery store chain. He's not interested in working for them. But he is interested in those greenbacks, honey, that come in the form of a $100 million inheritance. To get it, he has to be married for five years. That's where our girl Anna comes back into play. So the two will fake a marriage. But as he gets to know her and gets to appreciate the feisty, foul-mouthed, paint-splattered girl that she is, he'll begin to wonder if the money is worth the love of his life. Pick up The Paradise Problem by Christina Lauren to find out if it is. And thanks again to Gallery Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Okay, so I'm very excited about this first
1: pick because it is another one of those books that got booted very far into the future when the pandemic started. And it is The Gilded Ones by Namina Forna, which is the first book in the Deathless trilogy. I have been waiting to tell you about this book. And I know I say this sometimes, but I'm very serious when I tell you I can't tell you very much about it. I don't even want to like, tell you what's in the summary on the back of the book. Because I read this book without looking at the summary. And it was such a fun experience. Because even just at the very beginning of this book, I was like, oh my god, what's happening? What? Why is that? Whoa. What was that? Oh, uh, what is going on? That's pretty much my whole reaction like the beginning of this book. I'll tell you a little bit about it. It's set in the country, or in the town of Ifrut, which is a small village in the north of this land. Um, And 16-year-old Dika uh, lives there, and their world is a world where women are considered lesser than men. It's a world of subservience. Like, it's known that, you know, women are going to grow up to be mates and to do the housekeeping. And when women turn 16, they go through something called the Ritual of Purity, where Their blood is tested by the village elder to make sure that it is red. And for a year before they turn 16, women are not allowed to touch anything sharp for uh, fear that they might actually draw blood before it is time. And if that happens, they're like cast out of the village if like they're injured in any way. So basically, they just have to be very careful. The richer uh, girls in the village, their families send them off to like these cushy rooms where nothing can happen to them. But Dika can't do that because she has to help her father on the farm because her mother has passed away. And when they turn 16, they also have to wear masks that cover their faces. And it means that they're also available now for marriage when they're 16. And so Dika, you know, this is what she's grown up knowing. She's very nervous. She's nervous that her blood won't be red because her mother was an outsider from the village. And she came from a different part of the country And her father was ostracized for this because he brought an outsider home to their village. And Dika is a young black girl in a town full of white people. And so everyone knows like where her, what part of the country her mother came from. And she's always kind of been an outcast because of this. And she's worried that because of this, you know, she won't have a marriage prospect or that her blood won't be red or, you know, she's really worried. And so the day of the ceremony, this is where like, I can't really tell you too much, but like... I will tell you that on the day of the ceremony, this is right in the description, Dika's blood runs gold. Her blood is gold. And that is just the tip of the iceberg of what happens on this day. There's tragedy, there's there's violence. I, I can't I don't even want to tell you anymore what the book description says, but in the end Dika is recruited to do battle for the emperor with a group of other girls just like her. And It's mind-blowingly fun and amazing. It's just this fantastic fantasy novel about empowerment and fighting the patriarchy and strong women doing the near impossible. It has excellent world-building, spooky monsters, these things called death shriekers. It has queer representation. There are a lot of content warnings for this novel. Uh, There's violence, death, loss of a parent, torture, abuse, racism... Xenophobia, there's a sexual assault that takes place about two-thirds of the way into the book, so that's something I just want to give you a heads-up about that. Forna talks about this book and how she grew up herself in Sierra Leone, where women were also considered unequal, and she thought how that would change when she came to America to go to school, and she was very disappointed to discover that it was still kind of the same in different ways, and she wanted to write this empowering novel And it's just this incredible, imaginative feminist YA about empowerment and equality. It is the first in a trilogy. And like most trilogies, you know, it has a resolution, but also it does not. It's just so good. It's so good. It is called The Gilded Ones,
0: and it's by Namina Forna. That cover is so beautiful. It was gorgeous. It's like hard to miss it. (laughs) So it's really cool. I will read that next. Okay. I... I feel like we both say this a lot. I'm sure everybody on this show says this a lot, but I really, really love my first pick. I love all my picks, but I loved this book. And the funny story is I thought I wasn't going to be able to recommend it because it ended really, really just not satisfyingly. And then I discovered that there was an issue with the way I downloaded the audiobook, like advanced listening copy, and I was just missing like a smooth five chapters. So now I can go back to recommending it. <laughs> it's really good. But I was like, this is a really stupid ending. Like there, it's not, it's not a cliffhanger. It's not it's not nothing. It just like stopped. Well, no, it was made so now I can go back to (laughs) recommending uh, a tip for the hangman by Alison Epstein this one doesn't have there I guess there's some triggers for violence so if you're violence I think but really most of it is kind of like softly off page it's it's not anything that I think you need to be too worried about but so this is a fictionalized version of Christopher Marlowe's story so if you don't really super fast history lesson Christopher Marlowe though was known as Kit Marlowe was a famous Elizabethan poet and playwright. He was like Shakespeare's contemporary. I think he was born like two months before him. And he's considered like his most important predecessor in English drama. So again, they kind of came up at the same time. He was a bright student, won lots of scholarships, like good schools all his life. He ended up at Cambridge. Uh, he, was, he earned his bachelor's in like 1584, I think. And then was working on his master's when he was very nearly denied it for... Reasons? Question mark? Until advisors to Queen Elizabeth very famously like intervened and you know recommended that he receive the degree anyway, citing, you know, quote unquote services for the state as their reason. And if you think that sounds a little fishy, you know, so does everybody else. And it is pretty widely believed at this point that Kit Marlowe was a spy. So we'll like obviously never know for sure because that's how spying works. <laughs> if you did a good job, then odds are the world will not know who you were. But historical records, of which there are way more of than I would have assumed, but I guess the Elizabethans just like really liked writing everything down. Um, but they make a pretty strong case for the fact that, again, he was a spy. And I, I won't tell you too much more there, but everything from his life, his plays, and his death, which is like very contested, are all things that you, first, definitely listen to the author's note at the end for some clarification on like where she took creative license, but also just do some Googles because it's fun, like history nerd stuff. But so the book, like I said, is a super fun and irreverent spy thriller, Elizabethan spy thriller that runs with that whole spy theory and then flushes it out all the way, again, with some creative license. But so when the book opens, Kate is studying at Cambridge, is working towards that master's I mentioned, and just sort of barely staying out of trouble. He's a little bit of a hothead, and that often gets in the way. He's a bit of a liar, <laughs> but he's like, well, that's my job. I, I write plays. Of course I'm a liar. And so one day, he gets pulled out of his lessons and told he needs to meet with like the, the head... Not headmaster, because I don't think that's... They don't have a headmaster at Cambridge, but you know someone. I forget the t- title. But point being, he shows up to this meeting thinking... He's about to get the boot. And no, when he gets there, he finds out that he's been tapped on the shoulder to do a little favor for Her Majesty. Word on the street is that he's, again, like he's cunning. He's a convincing liar. He can think on his feet that he's talented at translations and ciphers. And so the Queen's spymaster, who apparently really did like recruit out of Cambridge fairly frequently for this sort of thing, was like, hey, bruh. You know this papist Mary Stuart. Yeah, like she got to go. Uh we don't we think she's up to no good. We are fairly positive that she's working on a plot to assassinate the queen. We need you to like get in with her and help us prove it. And for those not really well versed on this point of history, this is where Mary Queen of Scots had was on house arrest and you know that's where she stayed for years and years and years up until her older age until she was eventually found guilty of treason and beheaded. Spoiler alert. So the book it's it's not a spoiler to say that, you know, he he does – yeah, he leaves. He's like, well, I don't really – I'm kind of getting voluntold to do this, so I guess I have to leave Cambridge and, like, go be a spy and, and goes and takes up a spot as Mary's footman. And then you kind of, you know, let you read on from there to discover sort of what happens. Uh, you may know, like, what happens to Mary, but what happens, you know, for his his involvement. The version of the of Kit that we get in the book is – kind of like my favorite sort of spy situation you know he's he's smart and so smart that he is able to kind of finagle his way in some really sticky situations but he's also also some also also <laughs> he is also sometimes clearly out of his depth he gets it, you know by because he's a great liar and other times it's more on the skin of his teeth and the part that's the most i think fun to watch is and fun because it's entertaining and also hard but is that he is more and more conflicted the further he gets pulled into this whole espionage game. And, you know, at one point he just, like, wants it to get out. He doesn't want to continue his involvement when that involvement starts to have some pretty scary consequences for the people in his life that he loves. His storyline in the book is queer. Like, he's, he's a gay man in the book, which is also something that was suspected of him at the time, but was, you know, kind of kept under wraps because it was illegal back then to be homosexual. But like his love story is also like very compelling to read about. And the last literal last chapter, just like, Oh, like the real last chapter, not the like fake last chapter. um, Just totally got me. And so much of this is speculation, but there is so much real history also woven into the book. Like, Will Shakespeare is literally a sort of, like, background player at one point. He's not used, like, in a gimmicky way, but, like, Will Shakespeare is definitely in the book. But yeah, knowing what I know about Kit Marlowe, it was just so interesting to suppose that, like, yeah, he might very well have been a spy, and if so, it sheds, like, a whole new light on his motivations and also just what he might have been going through when he produced some of his most like famous works of, of theater, you know, of plays. So, so much fun. I really loved it. Definitely check to make sure you have the whole book and don't <laughs> do what I did. But that is A Tip for the Hangman by Alison Epstein.
1: I knew very little about him except that Rupert Everett played him in Shakespeare in Love. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I know that, you know, it's often claimed that he actually wrote Shakespeare's plays. Yep. And, you know, it doesn't, even though the fact that, like, he died well before a lot of the plays were yep. finished doesn't keep people from saying it. But it also reminds me of one of my favorite books that I just love to mention whenever possible called Bonbard's Folly, 13 Stories of People Who Didn't Change the World by Paul Collins, which includes a chapter about, or yeah, I think two chapters about Shakespeare deniers. And it's just, it's so much fun It's like all these people who almost did great things But then it didn't work out for whatever reason And
0: I just like to mention it whenever possible So, there you go That is a really fun, yeah Again, that is a hole you can go down if you like. look up Kit Marlowe You absolutely will get into that Shakespeare hole And that, yeah, Yeah. I'm a a nerd for history So it was a lot of fun
1: (laughs) Well, my next pick is historical fiction So there you go Um, It is called Zori by Laird Hunt Laird Hunt is awesome at writing historical fiction. I know this because I'm a huge fan of his novel, Home, which was about a woman who dresses as a man and joins the Civil War. Uh, he also wrote that weird witchy book that I talked about a few years ago called In the House in the Dark of the Woods. Love that little book. He writes little books. They're very small. This one is also a very slim novel. It's, it's less than 200 pages long. It's just a really powerful, but also quietly beautiful and sad novel about a woman named Zori. It's spelled Z-O-R-R-I-E, for those of you trying to look it up. And at the very beginning of the book, Zori is an old woman. She's living alone. She is ill. We know that she's having problems. She starts having these blackouts. She's in her garden and suddenly she wakes up. She's on the ground and she's she's really not doing well. And we start to hear about her life, you know, from a, a young age. Uh, she grew up at the beginning of the 20th century. Her parents died of illness, and she was passed along to an elderly aunt who is not a nice woman. The aunt was very emotionally withholding. She It says that she had had a bad marriage that ended poorly, and so she's just very bitter about everything. And she's just not very nice to Zori. Um, Zori loves school. She goes to school, and she has a teacher who encourages her to learn, and she's really great at remembering things and capitals and learning about the plants and the animals, and, and this is like her her salvation. She goes to school and has a great time, but then, of course, her aunt removes her from school because she needs her to help around the house and help with chores, and she doesn't make her way back to school, and it's very sad. Um, and when Zori is 21, her aunt dies, and now it's the Depression, and Zori doesn't know what she's going to do. She doesn't have any money and there's no work. So she takes off from their home in search of work and she makes her way, you know, like doing small chores here and there, like babysitting a baby for a meal. And she ends up at a watch factory. She gets a job at a watch factory. And I know some of you are already going, oh, because yes, it is the the watch factory where they use radium on the the watches. Now I understand why the cover of this book is like, like this, not black and white photograph. It's kind of like a black and light green photograph. But if you've read Radium Girls, you know the story about how all these young women worked in these factories and they they put this you know bioluminescent agent on the watches and of course it ended up killing them. But at the time they didn't know that it was bad for them and they liked to put it on their faces and their nails and their lips. And so she's working in this factory and she's finally around girls her own age and she's having a great time. You know these women are full of life and she goes to her first movie, and she gets to go to parties, but after a couple of years, she's just longing to go back to Indiana, which is where she started out, Um, and when she goes back, she meets the most handsome man, and it's love at first sight, and she gets married, and it seems like everything is going to be perfect, but as we know, the future is unknowable, and life is unfair. I'm not going to say any more about it, just that you know, it's 176 pages, and I just loved Zori so much. She's so kind and curious, and she's big-hearted, and I just love spending time with her. And I know that people are not perfect. Like, everyone has flaws, everyone makes mistakes, everyone, you know, has problems. But, and she kind of doesn't really have many of those in this book, but I don't mind that. Like, she's just a wonderful character, and her story is so sad, and you just feel for her. I'm going to give you some content warnings, but they also work as slight spoilers for the book, so if you don't want it to be ruined for you, cover your ears for a moment. Uh, But there is uh, harassment, illness, death of a parent, death of a spouse, and miscarriage. So this is, again, just a beautiful little book. It is called Zori, and it is by Laird Hunt.
0: I was googling, it was like Laird Hunt, Laird Hunt, Laird Hunt, and then you just filled in the gaps for me. I was like, "Oh yes, I loved that little in the um the woods book
1: in the house in the dark of the woods."
0: Yeah, I was about to like mess up the order of those words, but yeah, that was such a fun yeah. little like kind of unsettling, great. Yeah, I loved it.
1: It is a lot of words in that title, and then there's that there's that Matt Bell one that's like in the
0: the house, the house of
1: the, by the yeah. <laughs> water by the woods in the dark. I don't know. It's it's very similar. There are many woods books. Yeah.
0: So that's why I was like... Uh. I
1: seem to be drawn to books that have titles that sound like modest Mouse songs. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, that got me. That's fun. <laughs> well, I'm going to take us in a super, super different direction <laughs> with my next book, which is called Kink, edited by R.O. Quan and Garth Greenwell. It's been a bit since I read this one now. There are, I believe, discussions of trauma related to sexual assault. But again, I feel like for the most part, they may be kind of off paper but it is in there, just so you know. So this is an anthology of literary short fiction that explores love and desire, BDSM, interests across you know the whole sexual spectrum, as you may have surmised from the title. The contributor list is absolutely what got me to read this, but I don't even think I like really knew what it was about. I just saw this like bright pink lettering on a black background, and then the editors are you know, two, I love both of those authors. And in addition to contributing to the book, there's also, and by that I mean the editors, R.O. Kwan and Garth Greenwell. We also get Roxanne Gay, Alexander Chi, Melissa Phoebos, Brandon Taylor, Vanessa Clark, Carmen Maria Machado, like just these fantastic names. So I was like, well, I want to read that. And then I thought the concept was, you know, really interesting. In the intro, R.O. Kwan talks about when she approached Garth Greenwell to write this, you know, they, they wanted to set out to do kink right. And by taking kink seriously, I'm just going to read this quote because I like the way they phrased it. Um, by taking kink seriously, these stories recognize how the questions raised in intimate kinky encounters can help us to interrogate and begin to re-script the larger cultural narratives that surround us. It's a mouthful, but that's basically what the book does. I mean, these stories are all so different. There's Some of them are kind of short. Some of them are a little longer. Some are kind of... Well, obviously some are very explicit and others are a little bit less so, but they dive into bondage, power play, subdom relationships. The settings include like a private estate, a therapist's office, a underground like drag trans sex club. And it asks you or us as readers to think about desire and consent and safety and approaching kink as the reclaiming of power, sometimes through the lens of, you know, trauma survival and to really examine how gender and politics and cultural norms inform power dynamics. So these stories are so great. Like Brandon Taylor's story is one that will like make you think and probably cringe along the way, but it's it's great. It's called Oh Youth, It's the story about a relationship between a rich, older white couple that hires a young black man to live and then play with them. So, again, discussions of power dynamics, like, that story really rocked me. There's one about an escort hookup in that drag trans sex club that's a testament to like how powerful it is to be desired exactly as you are and not as society tells you you need to be under any kind of specific label about an identity that is very personal to you. My favorite story, very predictably, because I just love her, is Carmen Maria Machavos, which is, oh my God, I forgot the name of it, but it's like the lost story of the high priestess, something like that. But it is this very unsettling, dark tale about an orphan who finds a home in this like radical horror theater in early 20th century Paris. It's queer and it really gets into the like gray and murky parts of human nature, kind of unsavory parts. And by unsavory, I'm not in any way referring to like any kind of shaming of the sex acts. It's more like the characters, like some of them, like their motivations the way they move in the world. And there's this one interactive scene in one of the performances at that theater that I will not soon forget. And again, all of these stories, like, ostensibly are, yeah, about kink, but that they really all do make you kind of sit back and take a look at how we've stigmatized so much about sex in general, but definitely about, you know, kink. So the book may not be for everyone, especially if you're not somebody who reads, like, explicit erotica. That's not a bad thing. But I would ask that if you feel like you are averse to this sort of thing to maybe, like, examine why. And that is a lot of what that book seems to try to answer. So it was a really, really stunning collection. Just some beautiful writing. And that, again, is Kink, edited by R.O. Kwan and Garth Greenwell.
1: Okay. I'm going to take us in another completely different direction now. We And first of all, I just want to say that my next pick is The Witch's Heart by Genevieve Gornichek. And I recommend buying a physical copy of this because when you are finished, you are going to want to sleep with it under your pillow. It is that wonderful. I loved this book. Loved it. It's perfect for fans of Cersei and the Boneless Mercies and people who love mythology retellings. This is a Norse mythology retelling. And I feel... I know I've said this before. I feel like everyone learned mythology while I was out sick that day. Like... Of course, I did skip a lot of school, like a lot. I cut a lot of school, so it's on me. But I feel like birds are born knowing how to make nests, spiders are born knowing how to make webs, and humans just seem to all know the gods. And I somehow missed that. Like I don't, like I don't know. And sometimes when I read things, they're like, "This is a retelling of this myth." I'm like, I have no idea, but it still works. I had no problem understanding this book. It was really, really wonderful. It is about a witch. Her name, now I looked this up, and people can't seem to decide whether it's pronounced Angerboda or Angboda. So I'm going to go with Angboda, although Angerboda sounds funnier. I'm going to go with Angboda for this this podcast. And just saying her name, you probably, some of you already know what the story is about. Because everyone knows these people except for me. So at the beginning of the book, Angboda is a young witch, and she goes by a different name and she has the power to see into the future. She has the the magic of being able to tell prophecies. But she's cool and she doesn't mind sharing this information with people, and she meets Odin, who is, you know, big scary god, and she teaches him this magic, teaches him to see into the future, but one, she won't teach him to go as far into the future and to the dark places like he wants to, which makes him mad. And two, she has no problem teaching this magic to other people, which angers him. So he's mad about these things. And he decides to have her killed. And this happens three times. Three times she is burned as a witch. And she comes back to life. And after the third time, um, she loses her heart when she runs away. And she ends up in this barren land. And this is where we find her at the beginning of the book. She's in this land, which is also called the land of the wolf mother, like supposedly the witch who gave birth to the wolves who started the world. Like, this is where she is from. And she's sitting there this one day. She's wrapped up in a blanket. And this guy walks up to her carrying her heart on a stick. It's like, yo, you lost this. And like, you laugh because like, I'm saying it like that. But like, it's actually pretty close to that. And it's Loki. Loki the trickster, who I can only see as Tom Hiddleston in my head in this book. And he starts talking to her and they have this incredible banter. I mean, so funny and charming and they strike up a friendship. And also she takes her heart back and she puts it back in because like you do. And they become pals. So now Angboda is living in this land. She also meets the huntress Scotty who is like, what are you doing out here with like nothing around? And she's like, well, I'm a witch. And she's like, great, can you do these things? And she does. They make this trade arrangement where Angboda makes potions and salves, and then Scotty takes them and brings them back to people and trades them and starts bringing Angbo to other things like stuff to build a home because before she was just, like, living in a cave. She brings her stuff to build a home and, like, furniture and food and the land around her starts to turn green and it's, like, thriving just like she is. And so now she's got her pals and Loki visits. But as we know, Loki, he's a lot of trouble. Most of it is his own fault. And he's always getting into trouble. He cuts off Thor's wife's hair and everybody's mad at him. There's this time where he makes a bet about a horse and ends up a pregnant mare. And he keeps turning to Angboda for help and for salvation. And she starts having this like growing love for Loki as her powers of prophecy start to return. And they fall in love and they end up having a family. They have children and as her powers come back, Angboda starts to see the future and she sees her children playing a role in the fall of the gods. And now she begins to worry because if she can see this, Odin can probably see this as well. And now she needs to hide and protect them and keep this from happening. Or maybe she needs to embrace it and get them ready to do this. Like she has to make this big decision about her life and her family. This book is so full of, like it's like, yeah, battles, fighting... You know, but it's so full of warmth and heart and humor, and I like I said, I had no problem following along. I wasn't like, "Who is this person and what is happening here?" Like it was, it was very easy to follow the story. And and like Cersei, Aang Boda is often, from what I've read, often portrayed as a villain in the mythologies, and this is sort of a retelling of her side, you know, where she's not the villain of the story. There is content warnings for violence, death by fire. Uh, graphic injuries and uh, childbirth trauma. Um, but I I just, I wanted to just hug this book when I was finished. Um, which is hard to do because it was a PDF on my laptop and those aren't very snuggly. But I can't wait to buy a finished copy of it. It's so good. It is called The Witch's Heart and it's by Genevieve Gornachek. What? And yay! Yay, that was so fun. I just, I could talk about that book the whole time, but... Now, instead, we are going to hear from a sponsor.
2: Today's episode is brought to you by W.W. W. Norton and Company Incorporated. So, Negative Space by Jillian Linden follows a week in the life of an English teacher at a New York private school. At home, her children ask constant questions about mortality and her husband offers occasional counsel between Zoom calls. At school, something happens. She accidentally witnesses an ambiguous, possibly inappropriate interaction between a teacher and a student, but how can she be sure of what she saw? Negative space is a portrait of a woman caught between the pressures of what's normal and what isn't, and examines what we owe the people who depend on us in a fractured and indifferent world. It's a debut novel and a short novel. It's perfect if you want something quick and easy to carry around, but it's also thought provoking. It takes place during the pandemic, but it's not pandemic focused. And it really just looks at everyday anxieties and low threat situations that have high consequences. So make sure to check out negative space by Gillian Linden. And thanks again to WW Norton and company incorporated for sponsoring this episode. When she drinks, she's bold and funny, and as pledging intensifies, so does Blake's drinking. Ella assures her that she's fine, partying hard is what it takes, but with her future on the line, Blake must decide how far she's willing to go to achieve glittering dreams of success. Now, just so you know, Jazz Hammonds is the 2023 winner of the Critics' Scott King John Steptoe Award for new talent for We deserve monuments and we deserve monuments was an Amazon best books of the year and Barnes and Noble best books of the year for 2023. So suffice to say y'all should check this new one out. Thanks again to Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds for sponsoring this episode. Okay, Vanessa, what do you have for us next?
0: Now that I'm done salivating over witch's heart and putting it on hold. (laughs) It's
1: so good. Uh,
0: I went to a high school. Our mascot was the Norseman. So I know a little more about Norse mythology. Like I had to touch Odin's hammer when I graduated. It was a whole thing. (laughs) What? I'm sorry. What? Yeah. (laughs) I was like, oh, it was an adventure. I just didn't know it. Yeah. That was like, that's like our big, there's, I mean, I don't know if it still exists, but there's this like giant sculpture of like Thor's, uh. The, yeah, the, all kinds of stuff. And I had to, like, touch it or, Like as I was, like, came down the stairs to, like, descend into my graduation ceremony. Like, yeah. And so oh I'm super, super. Uh, Seriously, it's, like, probably one of my favorite books of all time. So I'm salivating oh. over this book. Now
1: I feel cheated because we were the Wildcats and there were no Wildcats in my graduation.
0: <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> we'll write a letter.
1: <laughs> I'm mad.
0: <laughs> but I guess I should tell you about my book now, <laughs> which is a very different kind of book as well. We're doing a lot of uh, pivots today. So this book actually came out last week, but I am enjoying it so, so much. I was like, no, I have to talk about it this week because you guys didn't cover it. And that is Three Mothers, How the Mothers of Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, and James Baldwin Shaped a Nation by Anna Malaika Tubbs. So this... I'm actually frankly surprised that this kind, this book, like the concept for this book wasn't already written about, at least not, um, that I recognize. And it's funny. I just listened to Anamaleka Tubbs's interview with Jonathan Van Ness on his podcast. I think it's called Get- Getting Curious. And that's like one of the first things that she said too, is that she was very surprised because she was writing this as part of, I think, her like PhD work that this book didn't already exist insofar as she knows because you know while so much has been written about Martin Luther King, Malcolm X and James Baldwin, you know, American icons and, and heroes and civil rights the civil rights movement and in general we, very little has been said or written about the extraordinary women and the communities which I love that she explores uh, who raised these men. So Malika Tubbs who is an educator, a Cambridge PhD candidate and a Gates scholar, like she's just the most educated and and awesome. Um, she's really a approach to this story from the vantage point of like wanting to tell the women's stories and also to celebrate black motherhood and the power of community. There's really not, I guess too much more that can be said. You should just read it because it is just such, such a fantastic peek into these, again, these women who are just so extraordinary and to know, that all of them survived, you know, they all watched their sons be taken from this world, like in such an untimely fashion for doing with, you know, work that they were passionate about is very, very moving, I guess, is when that feels like such an underwhelming way to put it. But I've been thinking a lot about, in particular, I was thinking about MLK Jr.'s mother and now obviously thinking about the other two as well. But, you know, in this particular moment in time where we just witnessed as a country and the world, you know, a violent attempt coup that was largely led by you know white supremacists and then not a week later hearing all of these cries for unity from folks who sympathized and or you know helped organize this stuff and they, all those calls for unity on martin luther king jr day you know were underscored by all these quotes from him calling for like peace and like you know love and i just kept thinking like what must it be like to have raised that man you know martin luther king jr And knowing that, like, in his time, he was hated and persecuted and ultimately assassinated for working towards, like, racial equality and civil rights, you know, the the folks, very folks who, like, today are on, like, what I've considered the very wrong side of history, but are calling for unity using his quotes are the ones who probably would have you know, wanted him gone back in the day. And so I was thinking so much about that when I read that this book was coming out and I was like, oh, this just feels so incredibly timely because yes, what must it be like to have like raised these men, to have watched them grow into these extremely public and political figures and to know that their place in history is like so cemented, but to also reckon with the fact that so much of what they were working towards like has still not been accomplished all these years later. That is such like an endlessly interesting concept to me and then you'll just go in learning again so much about black motherhood specifically and the communities that raise us and so it's just such a beautifully written book love it so much i think you will too so uh for some bonus content you really should go listen to that podcast because it was really fun and i love that jonathan Ennis opens by saying that he loves a little phd moment <laughs> and that's when he introduces her but she's she's fantastic and like i said so so like knowledgeable on this subject and and i about black motherhood which is great So that is Three Mothers, How the Mothers of Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, and James Baldwin Shaped a Nation by Anna Malaika Tubbs. I just bought that last week. It's arriving from my local indie. Very excited. Yay. It's so good.
1: I had already read it. It's really, really, really good. Oh, did you? Yeah, I wanted like a finished copy. You know, something else for my cats to chew on. (laughs) I like to, you know, feed their book chewing habit. It's so frustrating. So frustrating. They just completely demolished a copy of one of my history books, just like ate like a whole section of the end of it. I was like, how did you, how did you even do that? <laughs> They're very skilled. Their mouths are like little <laughs> clamps. So my last pick actually is not a recommendation because I've not read the book. I did have a book I was going to talk about today. The date got changed. I didn't get to another one in time. I don't want to take anything away from the newsletter which is like a reminder that you can sign up for the new books newsletter in which I talk about other books I've read that come out on these days. So I thought I would just mention that uh, Vendela Vida has a new novel coming out. I'm a big fan of her work. This one is called We Run the Tides, and the description says, It is an achingly beautiful story of female friendship, betrayal, and a mysterious disappearance set in the changing landscape of San Francisco. Um, Like I said, I do love her work. She has a lot of award-nominated stuff like Let the Northern Lights Erase Your Name, The Diver's Clothes Lie Empty. Uh, My first, I think it was actually her first book. It might not have been, but uh, my first introduction to her was And Now You Can Go, which I really loved. And this is high up at the top of my list of things to read next. And so I wanted to mention it. And that's all I have about that. I could tell you, do you want to hear my favorite joke? I could tell you my favorite joke. What's green and sits in the corner? A Naughty Frog. (laughs) I got that from Pinky and the Brain when I was little and still my favorite joke. See, it slays every time. Goes over really big. So, yeah, if you're a Vendela Vida fan or you've never read her before, this is coming out. If you've not read her before, check out and now you can go. It's a great place to start. I'm going to read this next. And if I love it, I will be sure to tell you. And so that is We Run the Tides by Vendela Vida, which I have not read. (laughs) Woohoo! I try. I try to read everything. I just can't get to it all. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm like,
0: because you read everything, I think people will forgive you. It's fine. <laughs> I would also <laughs> like to say that I love that we always have these random little like synchronicities because I used to quote Pinky and the Brain as a child all the time in ways that don't make sense. And to this day when yeah. people say like, what are we doing today? Like, what are we getting away with? My automatic response is, I don't know, Brain. How are we going to get the whole what Apollo team to shave their legs? And people look at me like I am <laughs> out of my mind. I'm like, I'm... I'm sorry. So there's that for you all. <laughs> I'll finally That was
1: a good pinky. <laughs> I, yeah,
0: it was kind of random, but.
1: I, no, I, that was good. You did a good job. He's my favorite. It also reminds me that I bought the book by the guy who voices Pinky. Really? I'm forgetting his name, Rob something. Oh, I didn't know there was a book. And I still haven't, I still haven't read it. Yeah. He does, he does like a bazillion character with yeah. Rob Paulson. There we go. It's called Voice Lessons.
0: There you yep. go. Yeah. 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 Okay.
1: He did some of the Ninja Turtles, he does some of the Animaniacs, and uh, I should pick that up soon.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a reminder for you. <laughs> yeah. Love our, all the book's tangents, that's what we're here for. Okay, so I will tell us about my last pick, which is so much fun. I'm actually not all the way done with it yet, but I am loving what I have read so far. And that book is A Lady's Formula for Love by Elizabeth Everett, when, which is the first in the New Secret Scientists of London series. Apparently today is about books involving clandestine missions for the crown. (laughs) That's fine, because that's um, something I really like to read about. But the book opens in 1842 in England, and Lady Violet is a widowed Viscountess who also runs a secret society. That secret society is called Athena's Retreat, and from the outside, it sort of just looks like a group of women who have like a very casual interest in science. But in reality, it is a group of very, very talented scientists, women scientists doing groundbreaking work and like literally just blow an ish up in the name of science. (laughs) It's, It's pretty great. So she's, again, running Athena's retreat, the sanctuary for some of England's most, you know, brilliant female scientists when she is approached with a very sensitive and confidential mission for the crown. Because there is this illegal organization that's really like a terrorist organization at this point called Omnium Democratia, And it is a men's suffrage movement. So, like, they, that's what they fight for is, like, we want men to have suffrage and only men. And they have become increasingly kind of radical and violent. And they have now introduced a, a chemical weapon into their riots. And this is where Lady Violet comes in. She's asked by the crown to use all of her, you know, scientific skill to develop an antidote for that chemical weapon. So because this work is dangerous and she is very much, you know, the target of this organization, or she would be if they knew more, and it seems like they might, based on some stuff that happens, then... Ladies Violet, Ladies Violet, Lady Violet's stepson hires a bodyguard to keep her safe, like to, you know, protect her essentially while she, like, does this work, tries to do experiments and figure out a way to develop this antidote. And here's where you can start playing I Have Nothing by Whitney Houston in the back the way I did because she very much, like, falls, like, immediately, like, page four. (laughs) It's very, very soon when she figures out, well, she figures out that she has a bodyguard because a chair, which is, like, thrown from a building, is, like, about to land on her when this man just, like, bulldozes her out of nowhere and is like, hey, I'm your bodyguard, as he's, like, pressed up against her with his, like, mouth by her ear. And she's like, hey, um, <laughs> you're very nice looking, but, like, why are you on top of me? And he's like, uh, my name is Arthur, and I'm here to protect you. Thought you knew that. Uh, she did not, but soon now does. So Arthur's this very professional... Like a duty-first, can't-mix-business-with-pleasure type, as I suppose you should be, especially in this line of work. But he can't help but feel attraction to her, too. And he's, like, clearly fighting it very much in the beginning, but before long, it's, like, sparks fly. (laughs) So, Lady Violet, again, working on this dangerous task while trying to preserve the secrecy of Athena's retreat and let these women, who are all this, like, very, very diverse cast of women, um, do their work. And then Arthur is supposed to be there to protect her, and he is protecting her, and there are some very real, like, threats and violence happening, but then, like, also they both want to get in each other's pants or whatever she wore at the time. And it's just, it's a really fun book. Like, it's full of, th- they're very, very steamy chemistry. It, like, leaps off the page, and I know that's sort of a trite statement, but it's very, very, <laughs> like, present And then it's all, you know, there's also all this like fun science stuff. It reminded me a little bit of like Lady's Guide for Celestial Mechanics and like all of the women science work and wanting to, you know, fight for women's rights to just be put on equal ground and be allowed to study what they want to study and be taken seriously in their field. So if you love a good, you know, story and like a mystery about women in STEM that are literally like, like I said, blowing stuff up with like a steamy romance plot too. I think this is one that you'll probably enjoy as much as I did. So, again, that is A Lady's Formula for Love by Elizabeth Everett.
1: I really thought you said that she had cat mix business with pleasure. I was like, (laughs) what is a cat mix business? It's a new kind of business. It kind of sounds like a cat food, like a kibble, like a cat mix. Like meow mix? Or does she mean like (laughs) there are cats here? Yeah, I really, I have horrible hearing. I was like, I, it took me a minute to be Tell like, me more. <laughs> oh, yeah. Anything with cats, you know. I'm there. I'm ready. So that is it for new books today. What are you going to read next?
0: If I can grab a copy of Witch's Heart, I probably will read that. But I definitely have queued up on audio. The galley of, I love this series, The uh, the new... Uh, brown sister series by talia hibbert i think it's act your age eve brown i cannot and i think i'll probably get to tell you about this book next time i'm on the show so yay but i am excited
1: Ooh, bonus i'm going to read we run the tides by venda levita next for sure but i also am very excited that i just got my hands on a copy of the ones who don't Say They Love You, uh, stories by Maurice Carlos Ruffin, who wrote the novel We Cast a Shadow. Ooh, which yeah. Came out a couple years ago, and I absolutely love that. So I am very excited about that. And that is it for us today. Ta da! Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Sink. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. Ask us your questions for our 300th episode. I actually got an email while you were discussing one of your books uh, with a question oh. <laughs> from a listener. And I was like, someone looking in my house? like they We're asking for questions. <laughs> they can and I was see like, us. no, I I put it out on the internet a week ago. What is wrong with you? Um, but you can do that. Uh, you can find us online. We mostly hang out on Instagram. Vanessa is Buenos D.S.S.D. I'm France and comes alive. And like I said at the beginning, it would be a huge help to us if you'd go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us and makes it so that we can keep doing this. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime, happy Happy reading. reading.